0: Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanzt vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straße... Hello and
1: welcome to Gegenpressing, Impressing, We're going sing a podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Bryce Dunn. As always, I've got my two guest with me, but uh, something a little bit different this week. But I'll introduce them first. Uh, Chris, how's your week been?
2: Uh, Very fast. Lots and lots of stuff about uh, Nabi Keita. Loads of Liverpool interest on that, so I've been on that. And then obviously we've had uh, managers coming and going in in the Bundesliga and loads and loads of transfer stuff. And then finally, the season's completely over now, isn't it, with last night's Champions League. So we're all looking forward to pre-season. But wow, yeah, we've got some real good stuff to talk about this week. Really excited for it.
1: Yeah, we always say German sides do their business early and, well, there's there's been plenty of going on. uh, Good things and bad things, I suppose, if you look at it in different ways. But, uh, yeah, joining Chris and I, as always, is uh, Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been, or dare I ask?
3: (laughs) Chaotic. Yeah, I guess the last person uh, has has probably heard about 1860's bust-up, the fall from grace. Got relegated to the third division only to find out that we don't actually have the license for the third division and now we're fourth divisions. And uh, I'm in Munich right now. And it is my club and I've been covering it very closely and uh, very surprised actually about the echo of it. Uh, how many people were still have an interest in the side. Yeah, it's been a crazy week and we're going to definitely talk quite a bit about it, I think, on this
1: part. Yeah, I think you'll find that will probably be our main and our first uh, topic, but we'll, we'll get back to that in a little second. Uh, for a change and the first time ever on the uh, Gig Impressing uh, podcast, we've actually got another guest. Um, we've got Max Rangel. Max, um, thanks for coming on. And um, how about you um, not just introduce yourself, but um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself.
4: Um, yeah, thanks for the offer. I'm really, uh, I really appreciate that I can talk to you here because I was an admirer of your show for quite some time and you're delivering quality content every week. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, I'm started to write about football and, yeah, the Bundesliga and English football in Liverpool on Twitter one and a half years ago and, um, got involved with this, yeah, fascinating community. And there I got in touch with Manu and Chris and talked a bit to them. And Manu invited me to come on this time to discuss the recent events from Bundesliga. As you may hear from my accent, I am from Germany as well. And I was in Berlin as Chris last weekend for the, uh, there's people called final and watched quite a lot of football last week as well as Manu probably did. And yeah, looking forward to talk to you about the recent events in the Bundesliga now.
1: Yeah. Well, once again, thank you very much for coming on. And I'm sure uh, we'll get uh, you involved with all the topics that are coming up. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have to go back to uh, Manu on this. Um, Manu, you do sound a little bit downtrodden, and I think I think there's a strong reason for that, isn't there? Um, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, 1860 uh, Munich uh, Manu's side, we're we're playing in the uh, Bundesliga two this season. Yeah, new manager, that the new players have so quite. Everyone was quite hopeful, but I think unfortunately things didn't go very well, did they? Though they, they end up in the relegation now uh, playoff and yeah um as of uh, this week they they lost that and where to drop down a division but it didn't quite um turn out that way did it Manu i mean can can you just explain for everyone what exactly is, has happened to the club over recent years uh and and is going to happen them now
3: yeah um guess we spoke spoken previously on Hassan Ismaik the investor who owns 60% of the KGAA. So the KGAA is is not the club, it's the, the part of the club that runs mm-hmm. the professional um, football um, of 1860. So he became the, the big investor in 2011 because the club faced bankruptcy at the time and um, invested quite a bit of money into the site from 2011 to now um, with various ups and downs, coaching changes, uh, management changes, and a a lot of money. Uh, He has sunk in the region of 70 to 100 million euros into 1860, which is a lot of money, especially in the second division in Germany. Now, the results have been um, bleak at best. I mean, this was the third year in a row the club was playing against relegation. The last two seasons, uh, three years, of course, um, they were saved at the last second by Kai Bülow's mm. goal, um, against Holstein Kiel in the relegation playoffs. Last year it was on match day 33 where they, uh, beat Paderborn, who then as a result went down actually and stayed in the Bundesliga too. And this year, of course, um, they went actually down, um, against Jan Regensburg after drawing 1-1 in regensburg which actually gave them the edge um and then you know losing 2-0 in munich but at that point the um as we know now the club more or less was already facing a major crisis uh ian air the manager was signed to bring order to the club um resigned the morning before the game um because it, beca- it came it appeared that they the the money that the club needed, which for the Bundesliga 2 was 20 million euros, that there was a huge jeopardy that uh, Ismail wouldn't transfer the money because Ismail made heavy demands uh, to change the structure. And a lot of these demands were not in compliance with German law or the rules set by the DFL, which is the, the body that runs Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2. And there was already a general feeling that 1860 wouldn't get the license for Bundesliga 2. Now, when they did get relegated, the 20 million shrunk to 12 million euros that they had to, had to show that they had by Friday at 3.30 PM. So this is last Friday. And they had to negotiate with Ismail uh, because he's the only one who was able to guarantee that sum. And uh, Ismail made demands that again could not be met because, you know, he, these demands included that the club would sign over the naming rights, the, 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 all the titles, etc., from the Stammverein, which is the EV or the, the associated club or membership club, to the KAGI which is the again the the association that runs the professional team. But you know DFB and DFL rules state that that's not possible. And he also wanted to sign over all the youth teams, but youth teams have to t- technically speaking run on amateur level, so they could not be signed over to the KAGI as well. So he made these demands. And these demands could not be met. And he then, um, when the, the decision makers at 1860 wrote back to him saying that these demands can't be met, he just wrote back, there will be no more communication until the demands are met. So 330 passed on Friday and the club was without a Liga three license. And as a result has been demoted to the fourth division. Since then, it's been rather crazy here in Munich. I mean, I'm here right now and it's, it's been. Uh, as a lot of you may have seen, I've been tweeting about the club. I've been to the club. I've been the, 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 show that's really going on there. There were several thousand people on Friday at the, at the, um, Geschäftssteller. So the, the headquarters of the club. And, um, it's been a circus, you know, for lack of better terms. And, um, there's, there's a lot of people now that are saying this is good that they're getting demoted because there is hope that there could be a future without Ismail. But, um, you know, Max. We t- talked a little bit about that. It's it's not that simple, isn't it? Because you know, even if you go down to the the fourth division, we technically haven't gotten rid of him.
4: Yeah, exactly. He doesn't automatically leave when you're going down because he's himself declared many many times on Facebook that he will stay forever with the club, and it seems like he's just trying everything to get. Yeah, more power at 1860 Munich. And it's a very difficult situation at the moment because you basically have the um, two different structures on the one side, the relegated uh, professional football team who were excluded from the normal um, membership club a few years ago. And on the other side, the powerful people inside the main club. And they, as you outlined in the last minute's are just on so many different levels in disagreement that it will be, yeah, difficult to find a solution because they can't even play in the fourth or fifth division without, yeah, finding a solution because East Mike is still demanding to get so much power more than the 50 plus run rule allows him. And the Bavarian Football Association uh, changed their rules, so they also included the 50 plus one uh, paragraphs into their um, into their competition laws, and it's impossible. To find a solution without East Mike accepting that the 50 plus one rule still stands at the moment, or he's trying to challenge it in front of court, but that will certainly take longer than one or two months. And, and then the next season already starts. And if 1860 Munich don't play football next season, they might play never, uh, might never play football again. So that's a very, very conflict situation and nobody really knows how to solve the problems at the moment.
3: Yeah, from what I get is that so the, the vice presidents yesterday, um, Sitzberger and uh Schmidt, and now the new president rising and they have basically guaranteed that they will be football because there's enough money uh to play fourth fourth league, uh even without us make right? Um the, the next important date is July second because that's when the membership club gets together to vote on the Aufsichtsrat, so the CEO, the board of directors. And, um, there is now motions that ISMAKE will be excluded. Uh, they have the power to do this. Of course, uh, it's difficult, but they have the power to do this. And the, the fact that the main sponsor is staying on the, the Bayerische, um, which is the, an insurance co- company here in Munich. Um, and they are actually staying on and they're paying, um, everyone who wants to become a member. So this is a great time to become an 1860 member because they're paying everyone who wants to become a member. The membership fee from now to so the from now till December thirty first. If you become a member of eighteen sixty, they will be paying for it. Um, definitely a good time for me to renew my membership fee. Um, but so they have that. Then the amount of money that they got in Bundesliga two from that sponsorship deal is more than enough to secure playing you know fourth league. Um, it will in fact make them the richest team in that division by far. the The problem, of course, is that. July 2nd, um, and you, you mentioned this. There's a lot of division in this club. There is a lot of fan associations out there that support Ismail. And there's a lot of fan associations out there who are against him. So we have this July 2nd meeting coming up and we basically don't know what exactly is going to happen. I think the. The insurance company, the Bayerische is very much against ISMEC. And I think part of the drive of getting them to sign up members is to get people to sign up and vote and get the voting rights, right? Um, which is of course a good way to do it. There's always been local groups of investors in Munich who wanted to get more power in the club and, you know, put it more on local footing. And maybe they are part of it, but we don't, there's a lot of things we don't know because. Um I mean, as we speak, I get live updates and I get con- information on my cell phone, you know, because it's changing. And Peter Kassaletsch just spoke up. Um, the president under who was, was very ISMAIC, pro-ISMAIC. And he accuses the the membership club of a whole bunch of things. And then you hear the stories from the membership club and uh, they're ex- excusing XMAIC of a few things. It's very, I, I, for me personally, it's a very difficult situation because I don't know, I am wavering between the two camps. All the time, as a fan, and uh, I, I find it very difficult to to really place myself in one camp or the other right now.
1: And, manu, where do most of the fans sit at the moment? Would would they are they going to do something like protest to get to uh, Ishmael out, or or what? What exactly is their stance? What what do they see the best uh, outcome be?
3: That's the difficult thing. It's I mean I. I've seen the AGE. So the AGE is an association of uh, regional 1860 fans. They're very pro-ismic. And they're one of the biggest fan groups of the club. And um they're very powerful and they're very pro-ismic. But then there's a lot of... There's the uh, group called the 60 Sechz Pro 60er Stadion. Um, you know, the an active fan group that want to see the club return to the Grünwalder Stadion. And... They are, of course, very anti-Esme. They are the traditionalists. They want the club to return to its roots. They want the club to return to Giesing. and they want make gone. And they are the ones that are in power now, um, and they have a large fan following too. And this has always been the the thing about eighteen sixty and the, the the difficult thing about this: the fans. Uh, there's a very large group of fans that want to see eighteen sixty become a powerful strong club in Germany and then there's a lot lot a lot of fans out there that have that working class root in Munich and Giesing that wanna see the club being deeply rooted into the city of Munich. And it's it's a very uh, difficult scenario because you basically it's almost um it's almost like a political party that has two camps that in a sense support the same overall platform but have very different ways of getting there. And, um, that's where it stands. So when you say, okay, well, what do fans think? You get, you ask 10 different fans, you will get 10 different opinions and half of them will be pro Ismail in one degree and the other half will be against Ismail in some degree. And that's, that makes it very hard because, you know, we have that membership meeting July 2nd. We don't know how the members are going to vote. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to vote. Um, because I'm planning to, to get my membership and I am going to vote, but I don't know yet which way I'm going to vote.
1: And uh, Not to exclude you, Chris, um, you'll have plenty to talk about as we get on to uh, especially management uh, conversations. But um, Max uh, and Manu, I, I mean, I've, I take it this kind of thing a bit of a rarity. You don't see it happening very often in German football. or Or do you guys know of other clubs that it has happened over the years? Well,
3: Frankfurt, right, Max? That's always been uh, when I was a kid in the 1990s and the two early 2000s. Uh, that club was anything but an Eintracht, a unity. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's only been really the last year or so that there has been some sort of stability.
4: Yeah, that's interesting that you've mentioned that because one year ago, the uh, former CEO, Herbert Prohagen, left the club and is now in Hamburg. And he was always the symbolization of stability, at least um, the press and the fans called him that. But it appears that now that he left, there is actually stability, because um there has been many management changes over the years, and the coaches have probably spent between one and two years in Frankfurt, and then they left, especially with I Amin mean, Say. I think it was around 2013. He always signed one year agreements because there was such an uncertain future in Frankfurt. But now there is the uh, new, uh, yeah, director of football, uh, Bruno Hübner and the new CEO, Freddy Bobic. And they are doing quite a good job to uh, get a good connection to the fan base. And Freddy Bobic himself has ex, uh, yeah, when I can, um, Comment on that from the outside. I think that he has quite a good of network in, in football, especially to uh, other clubs and to investors. So there is a lot of talk about that Tesla, the American um, car manufacturer might come to Frankfurt as their new sponsor, which would be quite a huge deal for them. And there are, have been many problems in the past too. Yeah. Fulfit their potential because, as you may know, Frankfurt is one of the five, uh, five biggest cities in Germany and there are many, many different financial companies in Frankfurt and it shouldn't be a problem to build a team that is stronger than Freiburg and Mainz. But apparently it has been a problem in the last years, which is not really understandable from the fans' point of view and if they get their things right now, there might be the final opportunity for them to get into the higher level of Bundesliga football to compete with the likes of Schalke or Gladbach because from the yeah city's potential in itself it's definitely possible to be stronger than they are now. So they are always dreaming of European football and they reach it maybe once in 10 years and then the other years they are always in the bottom half of the table or even fight against relegation. So... My, I'm a Frankfurt fan myself and I'm quite uh, confident looking into the future now because they actually seem to be convinced that spending money is a good thing and spending money on the right players is always a good thing and they might be able to improve their sport this year after mainly focusing on loans last year so um Michael Hector from Chelsea and uh, Vallejo from Real Madrid so they... Bought elite-level players, but only for a year, because they couldn't afford them on the long term. But now they broke their transfer record for Sebastian Haller, who cost $7 million. The previous transfer record was just $4 million. So it seems like the things are heading into the right direction now, and the club has now already spent more money than they ever did in one transfer window, and it hasn't even opened yet. So it's... Quite positive, especially after the Depokal Finale, which was a highlight for the whole fan base, even though they lost. But yeah, it's a good mood in Frankfurt now and the chaotic days of the mid 2000s seems to be over now. Max, I'm,
3: I'm curious, you know, um, Freddie Bobic has been one of those managers that has been very, very outspoken against 50 plus one and thinks that the rule is going to fall. And, you know, we've been now speaking about 1860 and everything that's going on and the possibility that ISMAC is going to sue um against the rule. And we all know the rule is on very weak legal footing and that it is likely that he's going to win. Um, how long it's going to take is another matter, but he is going to win if he sues against this rule. How has that been followed in in other German cities. And this is I'm curious about because I mean um with Freddie Bobic's stand, wouldn't wouldn't they be really positive about what's happening there?
4: In Frankfurt in general there has always been this feeling of being a bit different than other clubs because the fans are very vocal there and always yeah, raise their opinion against capitalism and want to stay local, but at the same time want to become a very big club. So similar to the situation in 1860 Munich, but I'm now convinced that the recent success of the club is an indication that the fans might be happy if 50, uh, if the 50 plus one rule comes to an end and a bigger investor comes in. Because there has always been talks about the many different, um, yeah, airlines from the Arabic states or many different financial service institutes from Germany wanted to invest, but nobody really, yeah, brought that together in the end. And there have always been loose talks about it, but never really successful investment and the, um, a sponsorship deal to Frankfurt always just brought the club like four or five million a year. And that's not good enough if you don't have another, yeah, financial source to buy some players. So if the 50 plus run rule comes to an end very soon, I think that Frankfurt will be one of the clubs who can turn it to a better side for their club because they, have a potential and there are always interesting, um, commercial opportunities for them, but they never been finalized by the club. So Freddie Bobbage, as you mentioned, is a very progressive, um, CEO and has good connections into uh, different economic, uh, yeah, it's economies. And it's actually heading into the right direction in Frankfurt. And the fans have accepted that he brought this new spirit to them because they've been, yeah, convinced that Bobic would be a bad appointment and maybe would leave within one year because he had a bad tra- uh, track record in Stuttgart. But if they find enough investors after the 50 plus run rule um, is brought to an end, I think that the fan base would be absolutely fine with that.
1: So Chris, uh, if, if we continue to talk about uh, the 50 uh, plus one uh ruling I mean in in Germany who exactly wants that to stay in place is it just the purest fans do you believe because surely all the clubs with uh, the likes of investments that we see in the premier League and, and other leagues around Europe you know sh- surely they they just enjoy being able to spend 30 40 50 70 100 million on, on players and surely the clubs would like this and maybe some of the fans but the purest I suppose it goes against what they believe right
2: yeah, it does. It's a hard one. It's a very fine line, isn't it? Because German football is revered all around the world for um, for what it offers. So let's look at what it offers. It offers exceptionally um, cheap tickets, um, be that standing or be that sat down. Um, it also has a really competitive league, and we saw that this year, that the, the clubs are finely balanced. Um, I know Bayern ran away with it in the end by, you know, in excess of 10 points, I think it was, but there's still that time where buying going out and beating teams 6 and 7 nil isn't happening as much as it used to do um, so the whole league's a little bit closer I think that's because no one is dripping in money like Chelsea are or is able to use it in the way that Chelsea or Manchester City are so there's a massive disparity if you look in England between the very rich and the very poor even though the very poorest of teams in the Premier League get a hell of a lot of money some of them more than uh, the top teams in the likes of Bundesliga and the Liga so it's a hard one to say that you should get rid of it. Um it is a typically German rule and fundamentally it's a German rule and it does allow the football clubs to remain at the heart of the community. You only have to look at um you know, very briefly, you only have to look at Liverpool to see that how you know local people will say that their heart of the club has been ripped out of the community because of commercialisation, but then on the outset, it's been able to bring in managers like Jurgen Klopp. It's been able to bring in um, players from all around the world. But would that be sacrificed for better for, for fans if they could get in cheaper? So I think it would make the league more popular. But then we also have to remember, it, it's it's happened a little bit already. If you look at the likes of Bruce Dortmund, who are part owned by Avonic and a part owned by Puma. Then we can look at Bayern Munich, you're part owned by um, Audi. Audi. Um, and Adidas. So there's, there's commercialization creeping in. I, I think it's difficult if it was to, to be, get, to be gotten rid of incomplete. Uh, I think the, the very aura and the very heartbeat of German football may fall out. But as we've said so many times on this, um, podcast before in the past, it's only one legal challenge away. And uh, we could be about to see that all fall around, um, because of what's about to happen.
1: So if we just, uh, if I just ask one more question on the uh, 50 plus one rule, uh, I'm going to bring it to all of you guys. Uh, and I want to, uh, you know, stay or go uh, with the ruling. Uh, you don't even have to explain yourself. If you don't want to. But, um, you know, would you rather the 50 plus one stay in place or would you rather it went? Uh, Manu, uh, stay or go?
3: Oh, This is one that I'm wavering on so much. <laughs> Um, and you can ask me several times a day and I will give you different answers. Um, the reason for that is because on the one hand, I really like the idea that I could become a member of a club and I can vote and make form, form, uh, decisions, right? Um, on the other hand, I don't think investors necessarily would stop that. Um, just because, you know, investors are coming in or become owners, I think they would always have to deal with the base club just because the way German clubs are more to sport associations. I think, um, the 50 plus one rule is a rule, it's not a law. Um, it's, it's very doubtful it will stand up in a court of law. And, uh, I would, I quite often tend to say that it needs to go. And the reason it needs to go is because I look at clubs like Eintracht Frankfurt or Stuttgart, and Stuttgart uh, we're going to talk about in a moment because they have landed a major investor. And they as because of where they're based, the cities, they should be competitive with Bayern München. And they are not because, you know, over the years, Bayern München have developed such a huge gap that cannot be caught up with financially without the help of outside money. And I think for the league, to where we want to have four or five teams challenging for the title every season, it's not going to happen with the 50 plus one rule. And that's where I find myself more often than not say, it should, probably should go.
1: Interesting. Um, Max, if we go to you, would you rather it, it it's, it's stay or go?
4: Yeah, I actually agree with Manu on that one. I think that it's better for German football when the 50 plus run rule um, comes to an end very soon because there are already exceptions to the rule by Anulsia Leverkusen and VfL Wolfsburg and Hannover uh, 96 as well as Hoffenheim don't even um ca- fall under this category because they have uh, financial investor for more than 20 years. So there is no really fair competition in the Bundesliga at the moment either because the clubs have built their own profile for so many years like Bayern Munich who ran away from the rest of the league or because the investors are allowed only for certain clubs because they have invested for 20 years and on the one hand this rule will likely come to an end as soon as it's legally challenged but on the other hand Many other clubs will have an investor for more than 20 years very soon. And then these clubs can be excluded from the, from the 50 plus one rule as well. So there are no really long-term advantages anymore because the, yeah, as Manu mentioned, competitive edge of some clubs might come to an end anyway. So I think that it would be, the fairest way to deal with the Bundesliga clubs to just yeah, finish off this fantastic chapter of Bundesliga football and open themselves to the global market at once for every club. Because then you can compete with the likes of Bayern Munich and Eintracht Leipzig if you are presenting yourself as a serious business opportunity. While also, yeah, holding that strong connections to your fans. So if you're going to communicate it right and if you're going to get an investor who is, yeah, agreeing on talking to you, to the fan base about the more important subjects, I think that it has many, many positive aspects. And it will definitely improve the international competitiveness of the league if you just, um, and check the recent results. No football club except Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund are relevant on the international stage, if you're honest. Maybe Leipzig will change that, but it's not good for the league if you have just three clubs who are competing for the title year in and year out. And even this is a myth because Bayern Munich are way better than the other two clubs. And then in comparison to yeah, the premier league where six clubs are going into next season and say, yeah, we want to win the title. It is definitely better to, yeah. end to 50 plus run rule very soon.
1: So that's two votes for go Chris. So uh, w- what are you going to say? You're going to say stay or go?
2: Um, I'm going to say stay. And I based that on the fact that I think fans having a direct input into how a club is run is, is what, is what people are crying out for in England. Um, I've seen it go the other way. Whilst I think the the investment within the Bundesliga would be right for all that the the guys have said, it doesn't stop um, people coming in and asset stripping clubs. So there will be people who, who, believe me, would like to go into Borussia Dortmund or would like to go into Bayern Munich and buy them and just asset strip them. Um, And we've seen that happen throughout the Premier League. And you've seen teams who have been challenging for um, European spots and winning FA Cups like Portsmouth. All of a sudden they find themselves in in like League Two, so the very bottom tier of professional English football. So I understand why it's needed. um, And I do understand the competitive element. But I've also seen, especially in this country, how it can go badly wrong when you get people who just want to buy into a football club because of what it can give them, not what they can give to it. And I think the 50 plus one rule allows, um, those who are very much in love with the club, i.e. its members, which is majority of fans. Um, it gives them the power to veto, um, the likes of, um, Gillette and Hicks to come in and completely, um, try and downtrodden a club and just completely strip it for, for their own worthwhile, um, I understand it needs there needs to be a happy medium. Whether that can be reached or not is a completely different matter. But if it was to go for me, I think the power base that is is crucial within German football would would pretty much disappear. And then it's it's open season. And and yeah, from a personal perspective, I've seen so many teams um, in this country ruined by investors who aren't interested in the football club. They're interested in what it can do for them.
3: Yeah, I just I just want to add something to this though. Real quick, the 50 plus one rule didn't stop Hassan Ismail. And I think if the 50 plus one rule hadn't existed when 1860 was facing bankruptcy, they could have chosen a better investor. And I think a lot of people are always pointing at Hassan Ismail and saying, that's the reason why we need to have the 50 plus one rule. But Hassan Ismail is a, is a child of the 50 plus one rule. Um, I think if the 50 plus one rule hadn't existed then we could have gone to, Big companies or um, more serious investors, and said, "Look, we have this product here. We have a club. We have a lot of tradition and history, etc. And you can approach and sell a product um, to a majority owner, right? But we had to find someone who was willing to come in as a minority owner to accept that rule. And we were at that point. Well, Long term, we weren't lucky. Yet. But at that moment, we were lucky enough that we found someone who didn't understand the 50 plus one rule, uh, who wasn't didn't have the right people." Um, you know, giving him the right advice at the time. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of finger pointing towards Ismaik and, um, 1860 as a bad example for what happens if the 50 plus one rule goes. But I think these people forget that he took control of what happened and the club fell to the fourth division while 50 plus one was in place. And I, th- I think that's something that we need to look at. And I agree with a lot of what you say, Chris. Um, I think there needs to be some kind of measures that, that, that root, and that the club needs to stay rooted. And I think the big clubs like Bayern and Dortmund, they will never become, um, owned by a majority owner. I think that's just not going to happen. They're not structured for it. So, um, I, while I think that the rule needs to go, I think there needs to be. Some sort of balance because open season that's uh, that echoes with me because that's what's going to happen uh, if we do it the English way.
1: Well, you're talking about different investors coming in, but let's talk about players coming in and out. So let's move on to transfer talk. Uh, Chris, uh, we're we're going to go to you on this one. I mean, obviously, you've got a, a bit of a uh, tie with uh, Liverpool, and uh, they seem to be linked with just about every decent player in the league um one especially is uh Keita of uh, rb leipzig uh do you do you want to repeat once again uh, whether he's going to sign for liverpool or not
2: wow so this is pretty much what i've been doing um all week price <laughs> so um yeah i as you will well know um, regular listeners to the pod uh, liverpool born and bred liverpool fan uh, right for this is anfield she's a massive liverpool independent website one of the oldest um, but this week I wrote a piece for them and then was asked to go on a Red Men TV and also do another piece for one of the other smaller independent um, sites, Rousing the Cop. Um, there's a massive interest in uh Kata to Liverpool for the, uh, you know, for the reason that he, for what we've seen him do all year. He's massively um, he's a massive coherent part of that quick transition that Leipzig are so good at and how they can turn a, a defence into attack inside three, four seconds. Um, so unsurprisingly, he's wanted as a centre midfielder. Um And by all accounts, by the mainstream media in the UK, he is a number one target for Liverpool. Now this is without Liverpool coming out and saying anything. So it's very rare for a team to come out and say, yep, he's our number one target. Um, and, and that hasn't happened. It's been bubbling on in the background. And um you know, luckily enough for me, um, and, and Manu was there also. We were in Leipzig eh uh, probably four weeks ago now, Manu, isn't it? And um that's when this story was starting to bubble under that Liverpool were exceptionally interested in him. Now there can be a lot of arrogance in England that uh, once a Premier League team's interested, every other club in the world will bend over and just take the money and, and let the player go. Well um in RB Leipzig, they won't find that. And my own opinion is, and that's formed by speaking to people um, on the day, as we did when we were there, um, Leipzig are there to challenge. They've openly stated that the Bundesliga is something that they want to get their hands on, um, as is a Champions League trophy. So you don't let your best players go. Um Azenhutl said time and time again that um, Cater's a, a relevant cog in his, in his Leipzig machine, and um, CEO's come out and said, we're not selling players this year, and, and there's nothing to state that they won't. Um, there's a lot of chat Liverpool-wise about, well, if we just go in with, you know, a, a 35, 40 million pound, um, 50 million euro offer, um, they'll just take it. I think a lot of people forget who Leipzig are owned by, an in inverted commas, they're owned by Red Bull, one of the world's biggest um, soft drinks manufacturers. You know, you're talking about a multi-billion pound industry who um, who start sports clubs because that's what they want to do. You know, they do the X Games. They do um, that crazy air race. Um, they've got football clubs all over the world on every continent pretty much now. Uh, so I can't see them selling Nabucator. Um, Not in this window. Um no matter how much Liverpool throw at them, he's under contract. And we saw earlier on in the season, didn't we, that if a player's under contract with Leipzig and um, he's wanted, they'll just say, you're not going. And Emil Forsberg was the big, um, was the person that, that heard that the most when reportedly he wanted to say in January, he was open to a move um, away, but be that to England, be that to Spain, wherever he was told, no, you stay staying. And then, you know, unsurprisingly, he signs a, a deal, which keeps him there longer. Um, Navigator is key to RB Leipzig. And RB Leipzig are in a Champions League group stages next year. I can't see him moving, especially when um, he's got no release clause in his contract until this time next year. And then it's going to be 50 million pounds as well, or sorry, 50 million euro, um, or around about there, 52 million euro um, release clause. There's more fuel added to the fire this week because uh, apparently Leipzig are interested in signing um Konrad um, Lama from Salzburg. So he he's taken the exact path that Cater um, would if he came in. He's also a central midfielder. And I think all Leipzig are doing there is strengthening. They're going to be fighting on three fronts next year. They want to do well in the Pokal. They want to do exceptionally well in the Bundesliga. And they want to make their mark on the Champions League and get through to the knockout stages. So they're going to bring in... um more players, especially in the areas where, where they're strong already. So I can't see it happening this season. Um, it's all gone very quiet as well, by the way, um, in the English press about Navigator coming to Liverpool. Um, I, I've said it time and time again. I've said it till I'm blue in the face. Um, I can't see him coming this season or I can't see him leaving RB Leipzig this season maybe next season depends how um, Leipzig get on in the Champions League and how their assault on the Bundesliga goes if they do as well as they've done this season why would he leave?
1: And Chris can you see any of these Bundesliga players that are being linked with Liverpool actually making the move there?
2: <sighs> Hard isn't it so we've seen names come and go so Julian Brandt was highly tipped as someone who would be coming to Liverpool that's sort of fallen off the radar now and um, Timo Werner was mentioned, but for the same reasons as why Leipzig wouldn't sell Navigator, I think they wouldn't sell Timo Werner either. Um, Tar from, um, Leverkusen was mentioned. That's fallen off the radar. I've said it, I said it the other day actually, um, to Redmen TV and I'll say again to all our listeners. It's it's not lazy journalism to put Bundesliga players with Jurgen Klopp because that's what he knows. I think it's convenient journalism, and sometimes convenient journalism sells papers. It also sells advertising space on websites. So uh, take it with a pinch of salt.
3: Yeah, Brandt is from what I've heard. He's leaving Leverkusen. I wrote in an article myself that you know that Liverpool seems to be a. A good option for him because Klopp wanted to sign him when he was still a Dortmund, right? It was Dortmund or Leverkusen back when he was still playing in youth level for Wolfsburg as an eighteen year old. That said, uh the only information that I have is that he's going to leave Leverkusen and that his likely likely destination is not going to be a Bundesliga club. So you can you can think about that what you want, right? But I think the Cater one in particular is is a very interesting one because it's you know, Max, we the two of us, we chatted a bit about that on Twitter. Uh, it's a it's a good example of what journalists do when they get their teeth on onto something, right? They almost push it in a way because they it's it's an obvious link. And Cater has done very well. The, and you know, we I've known from chatter that it come out of Leipzig that Cater has asked to leave and red re, sorry, not Red Bull, Rasenball sport, Leipzig has said no way, no one is leaving. Uh, Forsberg was another one who has, um, hinted that he wanted to leave and the club has very quickly said, no, no one is leaving. Um, we're talking about Red Bull here, right? A company that never in anything that they have done, have done half measure things. They have always gone full throttle. Um, so then they're, they're not going to change it here. And, um, I expect that no player will leave that squad. Um, you mentioned Lama, um, from Red Bull Salzburg. So my information is that that deal is done. They just have to wait for the UEFA licensing. Um, to come through because they don't, they're very careful right now about not uh, appearing to have too strong of a link between the two clubs. So they have to be careful transferring players back and forth between Salzburg and Leipzig at the moment, uh, for all the obvious reasons. So I think that deal is done. Um, rumor to Leipzig is done too. So this is a club they're buying. They're not selling.
1: And, and Max, uh, as, uh, Manu mentioned, you know, about transfers, um, your, um, your side, Frankfurt, uh, you know, they've made um, what a record signing uh, this week. I mean, can, can you tell us a, a little bit about this and maybe who else they've brought in, uh, who else they maybe need or have been linked with?
4: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Frankfurt has the problem that many of their key players this season are only loaned out from bigger clubs. So um, the likes of Vallejo and Hector and... Um, Varela from Manchester United are all going to leave the club this summer again as well as Wolves to Hannover 96 and Tarasai uh, back to Everton. So yeah it's questionable whether they will replace them again with another yeah spread of many many loans. Because that's not sustainable in the long term. There is no point in bringing in eight different players every summer and then lose them automatically because you can't sign them permanent. Um, Frankfurt has the problem that their two goalkeepers, Lukas Radecki and Heinz Lindner, are both going to leave this summer because Radecki hasn't signed a new contract yet, and um, Frankfurt told him that if he doesn't sign a new contract till last Friday, he will be sold the summer. So they need two new goalkeepers. The second uh, goalkeeper from Bayern Munich, their reserved goalkeeper, um, has been mentioned a few times. So that's Sven Ulreich. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's the only link I've seen so far. In addition to that, Frankfurt has a huge problem in their center of their defense because after the Loneys left the club, they only have David Abraham, who is their first choice center back. And then, um, Donets, who came from, yeah, Latin America in the winter break and hasn't really played a lot of football yet. And Marco Rus, who has recovered from his uh, cancer, but isn't at the highest level yet. So there is also another need for a new center back on the, um, fullback positions. I think they are, um, have good enough options Bastian Chipka and Tavata on the left and Chandler and the new signing from Leverkusen Da Costa on the right so that shouldn't be a problem because Varela leaves to Manchester United and Regis has personal problems with the coach so he's also likely to go this summer but they are fine there in midfield they have Omar Mascarel, who has been fantastic this season but Real Madrid has a four million buyback option for him so that could be a problem as well and Hasebe has been injured this season as well as Max Dendera Nobody really knows if they can come back to their yeah, better performances. Medojevic is running out of contract so in defensive midfield you basically only have Hasebe and their new signing from France. Who previously played for Freiburg Fernandez, Gelsen Fernandez. I haven't seen a lot of him, but it only seems to be a backup option because he's nowhere near Hasebo or Masquerel's level from what I've read. On the, um, attacking positions, there has been their new record signing Sebastian Haller from Utrecht in the Netherlands for seven or eight million euros. Well, that's. Quite a big deal for Frankfurt because they've never spent that much money, especially in the last years. Their last big transfers are four or five years ago. So we will see how that turns out because the Rich, their previously yeah, first-choice striker, is leaving to Benfica Lissabon. Meyer, who obviously won the Torre Jäger-Canone a few years ago, is also not getting younger, so has been injured a lot this season and... Yeah, you can't rely on a mid-30-year-old striker to yeah, score more than 10 goals a season. So that's a sensible option. Hrugota is their other striker who has been unfortunate this season. But I think that Hrugota and Haller are uh, good options for the attack. And then obviously one of Manu's favorite players, Marco Fabian, in central of the um, midfield with Mijat Gacinovic. And that's fantastic for the uh, system from Niko the 3-4-3, uh, three, three with um, Gercinovic and Fabian behind the striker, so they are fine there. The problem that just come out is that they haven't triggered their option to buy Ribic from Florence, which is, yeah. Very weird considering that it was only like 3 million euros or something like that. And hey, he has consistently performed the season. So, yeah, I'm not really understanding that decision from the club because they definitely need another backup for Gatinovic and Fabian because Wolf and Tarascha, as I've mentioned, are only on loan there. And Danny Bloom is not Bundesliga level. He's just a fast and yeah, direct yeah, winger, but not good enough to start for you every weekend. So um, to break it down, they definitely need one or two goalkeepers, one or two center backs, and another winger. And I think then they will be fine. The squad looks quite good. But... As long as the 50-plus run rule stands, as we've discussed earlier, there won't be a significant increase in quality in Frankfurt. And hopefully they will be able to follow up on the season's 10th place because their squad this season was definitely not as good as they have performed in the first half of the season. And I was quite glad that they finished in 10th position, if you've told me that at the start of the season. So, yeah. I think that they are fine if they address these few issues that they have left, and four or five transfers have to be made because the departing loan players but in general I'm looking pos it it's looking positive in frankfurt then I think that Kovac and uh Hubner know what they do.
1: Good Lord Max, it, it felt like I was Santa Claus, and you were a little boy sat on my knee reading out your uh, your wish list for Christmas. <laughs> it sounds like uh, they've got quite a few uh, signings to do there if they're to really get the the side that the fans want. But um, one one man who um. Uh, has made a, a rather large uh, money move over in fact uh that the highest in uh, u.s history um is uh john brooks he's he's moved to uh wolfsburg from uh hertha berlin uh, chris uh w- what can you tell us uh about uh john brooks and this transfer i mean it, is this um a good move for wolfsburg um and so, you know, how is he seen in the bundesliga
2: well he's a, he's a brilliant defender isn't he it's it's a very odd move for me um I can only presume that he that um, Wolfsburg was really well sold to him by um, Rebbe and Yonka in the meeting that they must have had, um, because Hertha Berlin qualified for the Europa League next year, and as we all know, um, Wolfsburg were in the uh, relegation playoffs. So, uh, for him to drop down, or reportedly drop down, you know, to a lower league placed club. Um, it's a strange one. It's a very strange one. They've got themselves a fantastic defender, by the way. And they've also got themselves an angle into the very lucrative, um, US market that we've seen the likes of, um, Brucey Dortmund uh, benefit from, especially with, um, Pulisic shirts, uh, shirt sales and interest. But, um, yeah, well, Wolfsburg have got themselves a really, really good player. I mean, if you consider it, it's um, twenty million euros, which which isn't bad, really, for um, for what he can bring to the side. Um, yeah, he's he's left a he's left a side where he's been for you know a while. It's his home side. Um, I just, I just, I would love to have been in the meeting that um, that sold him Wolfsburg um, because it must have been one of the best pitches of all time. Wolfsburg are a big club. Um, we all know that, and and they're backed very well um, by a massive conglomerate. So maybe Wolfsburg have got um, good things happening for them. We, we read all about what would happen if they went down. Um, the funding from Volkswagen would be cut dramatically, and that hasn't happened. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's still a very, very odd move. Manu, I'd be really interested to see what you think of this move. Is Do you feel it's a little... Bit of a downward move for him.
3: Yeah, I, I had to laugh when I saw this. Um, sales pitch was, if you come to Wolfsburg, you can still live in Berlin. So,
2: um,
3: there's that, you know.
2: Well, yeah, Wolfsburg. I know it's only a, an hour's train, isn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah. That was, that's the best thing about Wolfsburg, isn't it? Um, that's what, that, that's what Draxler said, not me. Um, it's a lovely city. Anyways, I, I think this, I think this is a very good deal for Hertha. To be really honest, you know, it's John Brooks is a, is a good defender. He's a talented defender, but he was always, um, I, I thought he would be heading to England and that would have been probably something that would have suited him well. And I don't mean that the meaning at all. I just think that that's a league that his playing style, uh, suits well. Uh, I think it, from what I've heard in Berlin when I was there, uh, in the press stands and talking to a few people, they, the general feeling was that it was time to move him on because they, um, knew that this was the moment they could get the most money for him. And, uh, the reason for that is because his development is not progressing. So they thought that he's, uh, he's already at, what you get from him now is what you're always going to get, um, despite the fact that he's still young. And they have a very, very talented defender uh, in their ranks. And that's uh, Jordan Turan-Riga, um, who is a German U20 national team player. A uh, very, very talented player. And they basically said, look, we'll take the 20 million euros. We're going to be able to take that money and invest it. And they did. They bought Davy Selke, right? Um, they're going to move to play with two strikers next season and we're going to make space to allow one of our the biggest talents in German football to play and i think that's actually a very very smart piece of business now um john brooks you mentioned the american market i think it's very ironic that the most expensive american player of all time is actually german so that's that's definitely i i'm, I'm always curious you know because you you hear a lot about john brooks and, uh, and the states but he's one of those players that were brought in by Jurgen Klinsmann right so um, it'd be interesting to see if he will have the same kind of impact and Pulisic has with Dortmund in terms of marketing because Pulisic is actually born and bred American, right? So I'm uh, really interested to see that. But, you know, regardless, Wolfsburg, um, they, they are going to be mentioned more in American media. Um, I I do live in North America and I I am a slave for to the Fox Sports channel and um get to see the commentaries, and they focus quite a lot on the american players in the in the league, so I think Wolfsburg will get a lot more mentions now
1: uh Manu uh, another side that are going to be looking to um to obviously uh, invest uh, you know i'm sure young talent but also maybe experience as they've just been promoted is uh stuttgart. They've had a little bit of a, a structure change uh, at the club there. a uh, mercedes have a have a smaller um uh, ownership uh, as such. I mean, what, well, what exactly is going on there? Uh, you, know, to kind of tour, tie our two topics, uh, together, the, you know, the, the ownership rule and transfers. I mean, well, what exactly is going on there?
3: This is a very interesting story, actually, because this, this was happening while everything was going down at 1860. So the two big investment stories of the week. Um, and Stuttgart is a big story because, uh, Max, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, they basically had a membership vote to, uh, make the, the company that runs the soccer, uh, part of the club. So the football club, an external company, an AG, similar to what Bayern has and similar to what Dortmund has. So a chair company, closed uh, share company. And then Mercedes bought, I think they invested 50 million euros. Is that right, Max? Yep.
4: Yeah, I think so. Something yeah. in that region.
3: percent yes. of the chairs were bought by Metzidas for 50 million euros. That's a lot of money. Uh, it allows them to basically go up in the league. And that money, from what I've heard, can be all invested into the squad and into the youth infrastructure. So they are basically um, going to, they're not going to be a normal promoted side. Um, I'm, I don't want to say they're going to be like Leipzig, because obviously it's a very different story. But don't be surprised if they have a very strong run next year in the Bundesliga because it's a very good side already. Um It definitely was an accident that they were got relegated uh, last year, the year before last year. So um, I expect big things to happen in Stuttgart. And they now have the structure to allow them to become a big side. And this is something, Stuttgart has been a club that has really bothered me over the last five years because I always saw them as one of those clubs that should be challenging Bayern. Stuttgart is like Munich, one of the richest cities in Germany. It has like, like Munich has a strong car maker and a lot of financial institutions in the city. And there's a lot of money in that city. And yet Stuttgart has never been able to do what Bayern has done in Munich. And that's how it's bothered me. And I think with this new structure,
1: they could do it. Yeah, it'll be interesting times where we're going to be keeping tabs on them and obviously the 1860 uh, uh, situation saga over the next few months. Uh, but, uh, Something, um, else, um, rather large happened this week, uh, and to your side, Chris, uh, Brucey Dortmund, a bit of a managerial change there. I mean, what, what exactly has happened and, you what's, what's going to happen in the next few days by the looks of things?
2: Well, unless you've been living in a cave without any sort of phone signal or internet access, Uh, Thomas Tuchel left um, Dortmund earlier on this week. We discussed it last week, didn't we? We said it was 50-50. Evidently, it was a little bit more than 50-50 because the meeting lasted apparently 23 minutes um, and he left. And... Uh, Thomas Tuchel is renowned for doing things his own way. And, and when he left, he, he rang the newspaper, didn't he? And said, I would left. And then he set up a Twitter account and tweeted it, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So well done, Thomas Tuchel, for is embracing. Still up? Is the, that the, yeah, yeah, it's still up. It was still up still, and it was verified up within up? minutes.
3: Oh, that's uh, just brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he, t- he tweeted out to uh, a couple of players last night, Kidera and um, someone Sorry. else. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, he, he tweeted out saying congratulations and unlucky. Um, so yeah, he's using it. Um, and so who's going to be his replacement? We thought Lucy and Favre, we've said it for a while, haven't we? Um, but it looks like, um, Dortmund weren't able to come to a severance package there. So it looks like, um, Peter Boz is, um, set to be the new head coach. Um, Ajax is. Manager or soon to be ex-manager. From um, chats I've had and from people I've spoken to, um, and also from reading some more media reports this morning, that's pretty much a done deal. They're just going to have to set up a severance package with IAX. Um, whether it's five million euros or a little bit more, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think he is completely the right coach. We've seen what he's done with the youngest squad in Europe. In Ajax, he got them to, to the Europa League final. Um, mm. Maybe a little naive in the final display against Manchester United, but if he was to come in, uh, he will work with one of the best young squads the league has got to offer. And we've said again on this pod a few times that um, Borussia Dortmund are um, a giant waiting to explode with the amount of youth talent they've got. And also... Um, he may get to play Alexander Isaac, who um, by all accounts was one of the straws which broke the camel's back. Uh, Thomas Tuchel didn't ask for him, uh, came into work one day and was told he had him. Uh, So there's a lot of discourse going on in the background there. Um, It's done now, it's gone. Let's move forward. Let's look at what the future brings. Um, I thank Tuchel for uh, some great times, unbeaten for two seasons at home. Unbelievable still now. Um, Pokal victory and was a real good send-off. Um, and now it's just looking forward to to what can happen. And um, Peter Boz could be just what the league needs, and I think he could be just what Borussia Dortmund need because that Ajax squad played some of the most exciting football I've seen in a long time. Um, and at times, Borussia Dortmund did that last season.
1: Chris, I mean, obviously we, we spoke about Favre uh, coming in, and we were pretty sure that that was going to happen what's the likelihood of, of this, then, managerial, managerial appointments happening? Uh, is, it, is it practically a done deal, or, or you know, how how can we possibly tell?
2: Uh, yeah, like, like I just said, it, it pretty much the noises that are coming out is it's a done deal. It's just a severance package that has to be agreed on ha- exactly how much that is, whether it's four or five or five and a half million euros. And once that's agreed and paid, then it will probably be announced and I'll be surprised if it wasn't done before Tuesday. Um the Favreau was that they just couldn't come to an agreement with um, with the club to let him go. So they moved on very quickly. They're not going to hang about um, in appointing a manager because they need to get ready for pre-season and for that all-important um, Asian tour, which will generate a lot of cash for the club. Um, so I would expect this to be done by Tuesday latest.
3: Yeah, I would say Tuesday, Chris, because tomorrow is a holiday here and
2: um, every day is a holiday man everywhere we shut the other Thursday (laughs) got to Wolfsburg three hours early and everywhere we shut
3: welcome to Germany Um, but yeah I I don't think much is going to happen tomorrow I I, I expect Tuesday Um, but I mean all indications are that that's that's the guy that they're going to land and um, I was a, you know, people who listen to this part regularly know I've lived in Amsterdam and I'm, I was a huge fan of what Ajax did last year in the Europa League. Um, I have a very close attachment to that club in particular as well. And, um, I think 20, 22.9 was the average squad age last season. And the football that they played, um, was breathless at times. So if he can, copy this at Dortmund with the young guns that they have there, of course, at a little bit higher level. I I think we're in for a treat.
1: I mean, Manu, uh, as for Thomas Tuchel, where where do we think he's going to end up?
3: Well, I just read uh, actually just now his manager uh, agent, Mein King, very popular figure in Dortmund, by the way. He said it's not going to be Leverkusen. So we'll see.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, Max, would you have uh, Thomas Tuchel at at Frankfurt or What's uh, the Frankfurt fans' uh, opinions of him?
4: Yeah, the general opinion on Thomas Tuchel, I think, not just in Frankfurt but in whole of Germany, is that he's a great tactical manager and that he is, yeah. One of the most promising managers in Germany next to Nagelsmann, but uh, I don't even think that he would consider coming to Frankfurt because from Mainz to Dortmund is a step in another league. And if he now comes back to the mid-table sides, so I personally can't see that happening. I was quite surprised that he turned down by Leverkusen, even though I don't know if they really offered him the job, but I expect him to end up not necessarily in Germany, but definitely at the Champions League club because he is good enough to do that. And as uh, you've mentioned last week on the podcast, it is not down to his quality, but more due to his character that he had problems with Watzke. And that's the reason why he got sacked and. I just think that he is now waiting, similar to Jurgen Klopp after he left Dortmund, for one of his favourite clubs, bigger clubs around Europe to sack the manager and then he will come in. I totally can see him going to England or going to even Netherlands, back to Ajax, who knows, but to a club that is very, very much in another position than Antwerp Frankfurt. So he is definitely capable of managing a club that is regularly competing for the Champions League in the future if he has the backing from the club. So I really hope for him personally, because I like his style, that he ends up at a club where he can stay longer than two or three seasons and build a legacy there wherever he ends up in the near future. Yeah, we
3: know, Max, I think
4: that his big problem is lack of people skill. Yes, Absolutely.
3: And that's, that's something he needs to learn. Um, but yeah, he, I think he has a fantastic future ahead of him, especially if he learns from this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah When you consider um the things he did in the past, the way he left Mainz wasn't really the way the club wishes that... The manager handles his contract because he basically walked out and he then had loose contact to Hamburg and more or less confirmed to Hamburg that he will sign for them and then suddenly ended up in Dortmund. So he has to change the way he behaves to the officials and then I think that there will be a positive time ahead for him.
1: Yeah, well, how about, uh, Max? I just throw him onto that Christmas list, uh, for you, uh, there at Frankfurt and we'll, we'll see what we can do. But <laughs> they guys, don't, I, I
3: they don't know. They have a great coach in Frankfurt. They have they, a great coach
1: there. They do, but you never know, right? See, he could be second in charge or something. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up. I think we've went on long enough. Uh, we've covered a, enough ground. You know, the, the games have stopped, but there's still plenty to talk about, isn't there? Uh, Max, uh, Where can people find your stuff? Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, have you got anything to plug before you go? We've really appreciated um, having you on here this week.
4: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cefendo, that's S-E-F-E-N-D-O. And um, if you want to find out a little bit more about the 50 plus one rule, I wrote a very short and basic article about the rule and the problems the rule brings with itself on uh, my own blog. That's Cefendo.wordpress.com. And yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity to talk to you. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Um, I think that more or less does it uh, for us. Uh, we'd just like to say, um, you know, yeah, stay in touch um, or, or get in touch with us. Uh, we're going to have plenty of articles on the football grad uh account, and uh, the network, uh, football grad live is where you can find us on Twitter. Um, also on Gag pressing at Gag Impress FGN, the Gag Impressing uh, Pod Twitter page. We're going to have uh, plenty coming your way in the next few weeks, uh, whether it's articles or online and of course on here. But until then, I'll feed you
0: Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt als wär's ein Rhythmus als gäb's sein Lied das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht komm mir entgegen
2: ich hab zu holen
4: We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper and now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code Easy 5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D R I Z L Y.com.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy.